2: show. My name is Brian with me as always is Chris. It has been a while since we've done one of these in part because our lives are just a little bit crazier due to uh, all the COVID-19 business. You know Chris was spending some time with family. I was without power for five days because of a hurricane so it's been a minute but uh, we had planned on recording tonight regardless and then tonight turned into a night that I think we feel a responsibility of some sort to talk about. Um, So I actually left the house to run some errands, and I came home and all of this had happened. So Chris, can you give us like a a play-by-play of what exactly happened tonight?
1: Sure. Um, So all day we kind of had an idea, uh, especially once the afternoon came around, that the Mets and Marlins might not play their game tonight in protest of you know racial and social injustice um and specifically uh you know the the incidents that have happened in Johnson over the past week so um we, we knew that was a possibility and then there was just sort of no official word there really wasn't official word until until we got to seven ten p.m um mm-hmm but we knew that the Mets were considering not playing uh, while everybody was waiting to hear what the resolution to that would be Uh, video leaked uh, from the, the Mets press room and Brody Van Wagenen was in front of a, you know, a camera with a microphone, not even that the microphone was turned on, but he was speaking, uh, you know, off the record and, and, not in a situation where he realized he was on air, uh, but he brings up this concept that he attributed to the commissioner, saying, uh, "You know, the commissioner just didn't get it that the you know their players didn't want to play tonight, and uh, the commissioner had come up with this idea that they could walk off the field, but then go back out on the field an hour later and and play the game." Um, so that came out. And then that was his mind as, you know, there was no official comment on it um, from anyone. And that led right up to the SNY broadcast starting. Uh, we knew that the the starting pitchers from both teams had not, um, not warmed up, but the players were sort of milling about the dugout or just outside the dugout. Uh, and then, 7-10 comes around, the Mets go out to their positions, uh, and then all players from and, and coaches and, and the managers came out of the dugouts, you know, lined up. The Mets were out on the field. Everybody took their hats off, bowed their heads, uh, and they did a moment of silence that lasted 42 seconds uh, with baseball set to celebrate Jackie Robinson and his legacy uh, on, on Friday so as you're hearing the podcast today, uh, if, you, if you're an avid subscriber <laughs> and, and listening on release day every time. Um, so they, they they took that moment of silence. They left the field. They did not play the game. Um, sometime, it, it may have been just before that, I, I don't remember, but Van Wagenen uh, had put out a statement basically saying that he misunderstood a conversation that he was not directly involved in and the idea to walk off and then come back and play the game was Jeff Wilpons and not Rob Manfred's. And that's a very, uh, we'll talk about that in a minute <laughs> story. Right. But that, that is not the thing to get bogged down in. I don't think. And, and to his credit, um, Ben wagon spoke, he wasn't the first to speak. Um, you know, one, once they had decided not to play and, you know, essentially, uh, made their point of that on the field of why um, Michael Conforto Robinson Cano Dom Smith and Dylan Patances spoke to the press uh, Luis Rojas spoke to the press and then Van Wagenen did too and Van Wagenen specifically brought up that same point of you know the, that leaked video footage uh, whether it was Leaked intentionally or accidentally or whatever, um, you know, he really didn't want that to overshadow what his players wanted to do, the message they wanted to send. Uh, and and I I thought really once we got past the uncertainty, um, and and hearing that that idea had been floated to to still play the game tonight, once we got past that point, the Mets and Marlins players did something that was uh powerful and really everybody involved uh in in covering it uh and then and those who were in the organization that spoke about it afterwards I thought was really well handled. Um you know, it did this was a historic event in Mets history, I think. Um you know, they weren't the first team to do this kind of thing. The NBA took the lead uh, in, in, in starting this, this week by uh, really the Milwaukee Bucks saying that they weren't going to play in game five of their series. Uh, and then their league followed suit. And some baseball teams followed suit that night. Uh, and then the Mets were one of several teams that followed suit tonight. Um, you know, some teams canceled or postponed, it technically, is the right word. Uh, their games a lot earlier. The Mets and Marlins decided to do this and and go out and briefly, but I think effectively demonstrate. And uh, and yeah, that that is what happened. So yeah, you you if you were not at your computer from like 5 p.m. to 7 p.m., there was a lot there was a lot that you missed
2: yeah which which I, I was not on my computer for any of that time um, but so I, I want to kind of take this in three parts. Let's talk about Van Wagon last and mm-hmm. the video last. I think that no matter how you slice this, you have to you have to look at what the NBA did and say why didn't major League Baseball do something similar? Right, And certain teams did, obviously. But I, I think you have to look at this as just a disappointment in how baseball is run that this was even a controversial idea yesterday or today. Um, we know that the sport has had a very, very hard time attracting young African-American players over the past two or three decades. And when you see them act this way, it's not hard to see why perhaps they've had a hard time attracting young, Afri- young African-American decade, uh, athletes because there's just... There's so little in terms of... Um, I guess leadership is the best way to put it. That, that's how Van Wagenham put it, but there's just no leadership in terms of how, how... How the league deals with these things. I feel like of all the leagues... Save the NFL, because the NFL is truly more evil than anything I can imagine. Um, MLB just does not handle these situations all that well. Um, So I think that's the first thing I wanted to say. Second thing I wanted to say is uh, I have maybe never been as proud to be a Mets fan as I am tonight. The way that the players themselves acted through all of this was incredibly uh, moving and well handled. And they made... uh, to quote uh my friend's father uh, chicken salad out of chicken shit tonight and you know put on there you put on a really good showing from a really bad situation um and then and then well, let's talk about those things before we get to van wagon and do you agree that baseball incredibly dropped the ball here pardon the pun
1: well yeah i mean it's i i, I don't i don't know the best way to put it but um, the, the league just seems to not be able to have a, a thought out response when, when things, uh, happen, it, it's really a vague way of putting yeah. it, but you know, there, there doesn't seem to be a cohesive, um, effort by the league to, you know, to have a handle on things when something comes up like this. So in in that sense they are, you know, they're certainly not the NBA. Right.
2: I just feel like it takes an awful lot for baseball to act when anything happens. And I feel like during this season where there's already so many makeup games and all of that, it's easier than ever to I feel like the idea of postponing a baseball game for anything other than weather a couple of years ago seemed like a real anomaly. But now we're seeing that happening. It should be easier than ever to say, you know what, there are things that are more important than playing a baseball game tonight. Right. And the fact that the league routinely can't do that is very, very frustrating
1: yeah 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 that that is a better way of putting it than what i said <laughs> i don't think it's a better
2: way of putting it it's a different way of putting it
1: um yeah no but it, it like the league sometimes can't get out of its own way um <clears throat> but i think it was still uh, and, and not that you're saying this wasn't the case um but just the league sort of having an uneven and uh faltering response uh sort of takes a backseat to what the players are doing. Um, you know, and it's Dominic Smith has put himself out there in a way that, you know, very few professional athletes do. Um, and, you know, how, how many, I mean, like I know crying Jordan is a meme, but right. uh, how many athletes, How many? how many Mets can you think of? Uh, that have gone out there and and spoken about something that goes way beyond the game they're playing. So one, like that rarely happens. And then two, uh, to be talking about something that is extremely personal to them and makes them emotional, Um, you know. And then uh, like... Even if you just clear those two bars, there's still another level to it that it's something that is uh, really a, a problem that the their country has to face, uh, and you know, at a time when things are uh, very polarized, and you know, going out there and putting yourself on the line in all those ways, um, it, it's pretty rare. So it's it's pretty great that we get to root for dom smith um, because he's been willing to do that you know no no player is ever you know nobody has to go out there and do that but he's been willing to and i think you know he's uh he's been a prominent voice in the sport this year and that might have sounded crazy Two years ago, you know, yeah, yeah, because there's a level of, of uh, I think there's a level of respect that you get with success at the major league level. You know, if Dom Smith never really turned that corner and wasn't on the active roster this year, you, you know, he wouldn't have that platform, um, even if there are even if even if players who only make it only to A and play at the major league level, uh, and you know, don't quite become that really good major leaguer. Um, they might have just as valuable a thing to say, but because he's been good on the field, he I think he gets uh, more respect within the sport. Even though those two things should be separate from each other, I I think there's a link that, hey, you know, this young guy has had success and he's chosen to go out there and and speak about these things and not be afraid to show how they've affected him. Um, You know, I I, I think it's, it's just such a rare thing, and we're so lucky that that guy is on the Mets. Yes. You know. I'll take it a step further than that. Dom Smith when he was
2: both drafted but especially when he was in the minors and when he first got to the major league was a victim of some pretty racist shit that happened to him. And I'm not yeah. talking about overt racism which he said he has experienced, but people talking about how lazy he is, talking about his weight, talking about the way he played the game in a way that if it was a white player more than likely, that conversation would have been entirely different. And Dom Smith put up with all of it with better humor and better attitude than I certainly would have had if that were me, and came out on the other side as one of the best hitters in baseball this season, and just such a quality human being. There is nothing about Dominic Smith right now that I don't love. I I love that I get to root for this guy, both because of the player he's become and because of the person he is. And I think he is just handling things in such a classy, um, just wonderful way. I, I am so thankful that we get to root for Dominic Smith. You're, you're very much right about that. Um, and I think that, you know, I was, I was mad that only Smith kneeled yesterday because I feel like the other players should know better and should have joined him in that. But I'll leave that aside for right now. I think the way the Mets let... Smith take the lead on this today is very is a very good sign of just how he's becoming one of the more important voices on the team especially in this situation but in general i mean and look you know not for nothing personal experiences matter and do you remember him like posing for a photo you were taking at spring training and you didn't get it and so he stopped and posed again and smiled at us yeah yeah <laughs> like just a good-humored nice guy that that makes it even even better. But I, I'm really glad that the Mets are seemingly taking him taking him seriously and putting him in in a position where he can be a leader on this team.
1: Yeah, and it's uh, you know obviously um, in this particular moment across Major League Baseball, there aren't that many black players. Um, you know, Billy Hamilton and Dom Smith are, you know, are, are the two black players on the Mets active roster. Uh, Marcus Stroman was until he opted out over COVID concerns. Um, and Stroman certainly on social media has not been, uh, he, he's been very into speaking his mind and, and sharing, um, you know similar thoughts to what the Mets expressed tonight and what Dom Smith has expressed. Uh, so, you know, it, it, I think within a baseball team and within a league, you have those leadership roles and, and they can happen for a variety of reasons. Um, you know, so Dom Smith being a leader among his teammates, um, Right now, I, that that's something that even Dom Smith might not have predicted um, a year ago. Yes, you know, that like he a, a year ago or, or maybe a little less. Um, I forget exactly what the dates were, but a year ago he, you know, he, he had success. Um, he had the, you know, the knee walker thing when he had the leg injury. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he became beloved for those reasons. And those are, you know, they were good reasons that he, you know, he, he was having success, helping the team uh, win games in, in an exciting late summer uh, and then maintaining a, a positive attitude and, and, and a sense of humor, even when he was injured. And, and then the walk off home run to end the season. Right. You know, a
2: legendary move.
1: Yeah. So yeah, no, it, it's. But even even that guy, uh, you know, even even if you told him, these are the things that are going to happen next year, I don't I don't know if he at that point would say, like, okay, I'm going to be the guy who's, you know, but the most personally outspoken in Major League Baseball. Right. Um. You know, it, it, that's just I think for anybody who, who hasn't already had those sorts of experiences, they would think like, you know, they wouldn't think that that would be the case. So, um, yeah, it, it's I, I will say I feel like we're very lucky that, you know, Amazing Avenue is a site where we can write what happened uh, and, and what the Mets did. In, in their demonstration before deciding not to play tonight and have a comment section that as far as I know it had nothing terrible in it um, you know that that is also rare so you know there the, the issues that that have caused all of this are, are things that require real attention um, but it is nice that we, you know, we have a team that we can feel uh, the way that we do right now. That the people involved, especially the players, um, you know, care and, and want to actually do something. And, uh, you know, went about this in a very united way. And that was something they touched on, um, you know, in, in the... Interviews that happened afterwards, um, Andy Martino asked Luis Rojas, you know, if he had to have any conversations or meetings with any players who maybe weren't receptive to the idea of not playing tonight. Um, And Rojas was shaking his head like he, you know, before the question was even over, he's shaking his head. And, you know, I, I know it's the things that are said publicly, but everything about this seemed genuine, you know. Yeah, I mean, and doesn't that seem
2: like a world away from the team of even three or four years ago? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not trying to call out anyone in particular here necessarily, but I just feel like there are far fewer good old boys on the team right now, maybe? Yeah. Just, you know, players who maybe would tend to side with... um, or, or, or who would tend to not want to display that type of, of leadership um, or uh, take part of that kind of uh, demonstration, which I thought was absolutely beautiful and amazing, so
0: At LuckyLandSlots.com, available to players in the U.S. excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and condition supply.
2: Um, but let, let's talk about the Birdie Van Wagon situation. So, you have to believe that somebody purposely leaked this Van Wagon video. And actually, I'm going to pause right here uh, and play the audio of that leaked video.
0: They're mulling that over. Baseball's trying to come up with a solution. Saying, oh, you know, it would be super powerful. Three of, three of us here can't leave this room. They're saying, oh, you know, it would be really great if you just have them all take the field. And they leave the field. And then they come back and play at 8-10. And I was like, what? What's up? Rob. I Jeff's scheduling's going to be a nightmare. There's so much at stake. And I said, Jeff... That's not happening. They're, they're not dealing not with reality. They're, they're not playing, but that's Rob's instinct. And Rob, not exactly what you are talking about, at leadership level, he doesn't get it. He just doesn't get it. And, and that's so. Anyway, we're, we're waiting. Jeff wants to hear as soon as we hear from the Marlins. Court, uh, Conforta, whatever we do, we need to coordinate with the Marlins. So as soon as Conforta hears from
1: Rojas, right? Miguel Rojas? Yeah. Um, let, let me
2: know. Is Jeff saying by that
1: call, and then we. Can... So, it do, it seems like it can't
2: be an accident that that video was leaked. Correct?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just I uh, don't I don't know. Maybe maybe this happens all the time, and we don't know because we're not avidly, you know, tuning into the uh, the MLB app to watch pregame press conferences. Um. But yeah, it, it, it just seems odd that there was just enough microphone there to pick up what was being said. You know, it wasn't the it wasn't the the live mic. Right. Um it was you know, whatever it was, like
2: camera mic they were using, probably.
1: R- right. So there's just enough there and that's a very juicy tidbit. Um it's hard to imagine that there wasn't a person involved who, who said like, this is something that needs to be shared. Yeah. and Hey, good for that person. You know, definitely not making them out to be a bad person here. Just saying, you know, some, somebody was involved in, uh, in, in letting that one go online. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I, you know,
2: I, I think we should say that, um, I, I, I do feel in a way for Brody Van Wagon in this situation. He clearly, from the look of the video, he did not think this was ever going to get out, right? And I don't think any of us necessarily want private conversations we're having broadcast to the public. So unless it was Brody himself that leaked it, which I think is highly suspect, um, I, I do feel bad that he was caught on camera when he didn't think he was on camera. That's number one. Uh, number two, though, I don't think he said anything that was wrong. You know, he the like you said, a statement's been released that actually it was Jeff Wilpon's plan, not Rob Manfred's plan, to come off the field, wait an hour, and then go back on the field, right? Um, and so either Van Wagenen had his names wrong there, or this is a a case of Jeffy falling on the sword as an outgoing owner, as opposed to Manfred falling on the sword for this. Um. Do you have a particular thought one way or the other there?
1: No. I mean, I I think those are both plausible possibilities. Um, Neither one would really surprise me that much. Um, Like, it's such a Jeff Wilpon-sounding idea that part of me just believes, (laughs) oh, yeah, yeah, no, it really was. And Brody was presented with... uh, with the idea and either a, a, a misleading or an unclear explanation of whose idea it actually was. Um, and, and I would imagine that this, and, and I am not making this out to be like, like, look, this is part of his job. Um, you know, but I'm sure this had to be a stressful afternoon for him, which is a very minor problem in the grand scheme of things. But, yep. Doing doing that job of balancing the commissioner of your league, your boss who is the face of ownership, and then your players, uh, that had to not be... I wouldn't say it's an enjoyable experience. Agreed. You know, re- being the middleman between those... Even if everybody really was, you know, supportive and you know trying to get creative in a way that was stupid <laughs> with, with how to handle the the baseball scheduling uh, matter that re, you know was the result of the team deciding not to play this game tonight um, you know, not an easy day, so yeah, I I I could see in the heat of everything legitimately, just thinking the idea came from the wrong person. And I can see Jeff Wilpon having this bad of an idea, but I could also see Rob Manfred having this bad of an idea. And, you know, like you said, the Wilpons are on their way out. They've always been pretty cozy with the commissioner's office, Um, you know, and just going that route. I would love to, um, when the pandemic is over, and maybe when Brody has moved on to his next job, ho- however long that may be, um, I would love to run into him at a bar and just be like, "All right, uh, uh, whose idea was it, really?" You <laughs> right. know? Yeah. And and, um, and and you and I have both had experiences with Brody
2: where he's been pretty forthcoming with us off the record.
1: Right. Yeah. Over. The, yeah. It was less important. <laughs> subject material but but yeah. still yeah yeah no um, i mean
2: i i did have the pleasure of standing next to him as tim tebow ate shit on the field during spring training and uh <laughs> i got to watch yes. his his less than uh, thrilled reaction to that but he was very cool about it so <laughs> right right uh, yeah um yeah i agree with that i mean I, I you know i think whether you like or dislike van wagenen I don't think anything he said was wrong and even if that idea was Jeff Wilpon's idea and not Rob Manfred's idea I think the idea of Rob Manfred being poor at managing Major League Baseball is not incorrect no matter what no matter <laughs> no, whether he said this or not it is not at all incorrect that that he is uh, that he is not a great leader and you know I, I don't think Bud Selig was exactly a great leader either but Bud Selig seemed to be less um, I don't know what's I'm looking for I feel like Manfred is there's always a sense that Bud Selig was maybe being shady behind the scenes but tended to put a good public face forward and I feel like Manfred's public face is garbage
1: yeah <laughs> um. But yeah, no. I mean, <clears throat> with everything he said, Van Wagenen came off as somebody who has talked a lot since he got the job about being somebody who cared about his players. And today, that video that, that thats the biggest takeaway. He, you know, he was not speaking publicly. And very clearly frustrated that, you know, whatever higher baseball power it was, wasn't just taking what the players wanted and accepting it. And, you know, saying they he, he just doesn't get it or they just don't get it. Um, you know, that that's a GM who sounds like he understands what the vibe was in his clubhouse um and i think that's important i i don't know if that necessarily means you know he should be gm for life um or, but i do think it's a quality that matters um and and he came across as somebody who genuinely cared about what his players wanted yes um uh, and that's something that we usually think a manager is more likely to do and and not that Rojas didn't do that. He, he was extremely supportive in all of his comments tonight too, but we saw a candid moment with Van Wagenen um, expressing frustration on the behalf of the players on his team. <clears throat> and, you know, I, it, it was, it, it was just good to see. Yeah, absolutely. Um,
2: you know, we 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 spent the most of the episode talking about today's events, which are very very important. I do just want to quickly circle back and say how awesome Jacob Degrom was last night on a pure baseball level. <laughs> uh, you know, fourteen strikeouts over seven innings, one run that should have probably been no runs. Um, you know, and they almost blew the game, but they came they came back to win it in the
1: ninth. Uh, how good is Jacob Degrom right now? He remains the best pitcher in baseball. Um, It's it's sort of unreal. You know, even if the velocity bump is the result of the change in tracking system that MLB and, you know, StatCast, which is theirs, um, that they're using. Yes. Even if there's a slight bump from that, like uh, the broadcast has pointed this out several times, guys at his age, which isn't that old, um, but still guys at his age don't tend to gain velocity or at the very least, not lose it. Um, so he looks the part of a guy who could be somehow still getting better. Um, and that's kind of unreal for a guy who just won the Cy Young two years in a row. Um, you know, you, We've said this from the outset of this season. You, you can't take this season's stats and give them the weight that you would give to a, uh, a full season of 162 right. games. But even in a season where he probably only gets 12 starts... Um,
2: Maybe 11 as he missed one.
1: Right. Um, if he could somehow be on par with, or or even better than his 1.70 ERA from 2018. (laughs) Yeah. That's still, still eye catching, you know, um, with throwing as hard as he's ever thrown with a higher strikeout rate, just all this stuff where you just go like, damn, you know, we, we already know how good he is and he's never had a bad season. Um, You know he's uh, uh, there's just no other way to say it. He is the best pitcher in baseball right now, and I I I would think that most other pitchers would tell you that. I
2: would think so too. Um, DJ short tweeted something really interesting today. It was um, he had retweeted a list of the um, the number of pitches in 2020 that have gone over 100 miles an hour so far, and Degrom is second on that list with 38. They're all young relievers except for DeGrom. He's the only starter on the list, uh, and he's number two by by one. 39 is the, the, the league lead, and he has 38. And then short-tweeted that DeGrom averaged a 93.5 mile-per-hour fastball when he was a rookie of the year, and now he's averaging 98.5. So like you said, even if that is somewhat inflated a little bit, it's it can't be inflated that much. He is getting he is adding velocity to an already good fastball, um, and we all know the Marlins are not the world's greatest team. But he made them look absolutely foolish last night a number of times. Just just such a pleasure to watch. Um, I also think that you and I are probably in the same ballpark here, where we don't necessarily want to talk about. Um, about the problems with uh, or rather speculate about which player and coach were tested positive for COVID. Um, You know, obviously two players and two coaches have not been with the team. So it is one of them. And then somebody was probably either a roommate with them or traveled in close proximity with them. And so that's what happened. Um, But, you know, it doesn't appear, I mean, tonight's postponement does mean that the Mets may have to tackle a game at the end of the season possibly but I can't see how anybody is upset about that for any real reason uh, the the league is the league is handling coronavirus relatively well certainly better than it's handling um, you know everything else right now but I'm glad that when the Mets contracted it the team it did not spread to the team it seems like it was relatively self-contained and that there is, uh, you know, that that, that that I guess that everybody kind of did the right thing throughout all of this. I, I'm i glad. I was worried when one player got the virus that it was going to be a Miami situation where, what, what did they wind up with? 14 players? I think 18. 18. Something like that. You know, I'm, I'm glad it didn't come to that. Just because, A, we never hear the end of it. But, B, it also means that people are taking it seriously, as they should be.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, of course my mind went to the worst possible scenario. Um, how could it not after witnessing this year? But, you know, I'm glad, I'm glad that it's been pretty well contained and certainly, uh, you know, a week ago, uh, Really, a week and a few hours ago um, was when we learned that they were, the Mets weren't going to be playing on Thursday night of that week because of their positive COVID tests. And you never, ever would have predicted that a week later that would be a footnote that, hey, today <laughs> was another day that they had no new positive COVID tests and um, which is something that's been true since they got the first two, uh, so yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, the the number of serious things going on at the same time right now are, are sort of mind-boggling. mind-boggling. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but yeah, um, it seems they handled COVID well you know, it seems like they've been taking it seriously. Um, We've heard several players mention that they were taking it seriously um, and that they personally were, you know, impressed with, or at least approved of those precautions. Um, So, yeah, that's, that's nice to see. Um, Obviously, you know, it doesn't sound like anybody who's been involved got too sick you know had to be hospitalized or anything like that um but still hope that everybody who who did test positive for it recovers fully um and and that this is it that they don't encounter more issues with it um you know i i think if anything today and and the last few days in sports uh, have served as a reminder that these are people. And, uh, I thought the pandemic should also provide that same perspective. Um, I mean, it, inevitably you're going to see some sports fans who always just view players as entertainment objects for them, you know? Yes. Um, but whether it's the, you know, police violence and racial issues, um, that have been the focus here with athletes protesting uh, and and games being canceled in several sports, Um, you know, whether, whether it's that or the sort of sobering reality of the COVID test from last week, um, you know, I think the leagues have, have done such a good job over the decades since players became well paid, as the leagues were just exploding in terms of how much money they had and were making, um, they've done a good job of, of painting the athletes as, you know, spoiled millionaires, uh, and and sort of dividing fans from them. In a very like, it's very weird how emotionally invested fans can be in the player sometimes but not the person and I think there are a lot of fans who don't feel that way but some do and still do but if you can't see the people who are who are performing in these sports for your entertainment as people after everything in 2020 I, I just, I don't know I wish you wouldn't watch sports right
2: yeah I uh I just hope that through all of this we can we can start to see some real positive changes here. I, I was texting with a friend of mine today and he said, you know, do you think in our lifetimes we're going to see baseball not present as a racist institution? And I sincerely hope we do, but I don't... Uh, I just don't know man. It's so baked in at this point. It's just so baked in. I hope that I hope that people like Dom Smith and Curtis Granderson and you know, other really wonderful and outspoken players can start to change some minds, some attitudes, but it's just heartbreaking to see. And like I mean, you know, the fact that Dom Smith had to be in tears talking about how people just don't care that black people are being shot in the streets. I mean, that's grim for our country. But, you know, my dad was always fond of saying that his two big loves in his life, besides his family, obviously, were baseball and jazz. And he always said of them as the first two things to integrate in American society in a real way. And I feel like the fact that baseball was on the forefront of integration, the fact that they're so far behind today is just really upsetting and damning to the institution itself. So I will get off my soapbox right now. I just, hope that, um, I just hope that people are able to look at this and see what the Mets and the Marlins did tonight and see... I mean, I haven't seen a bad take on this yet, but I'm also insulated in a bubble, and so I maybe wouldn't have seen it. But I hope people can see that fans are okay with players taking a stand when things are important and both allowing them to do that more often and supporting them when they do that. Yeah. Well, Chris, do you have a music pick for this week? Oh, um, I have. I have one.
1: If you want me to, to kill some time. Yeah, go ahead. I, I. I'll have one in a minute. Okay. <laughs> um. So
2: I. I I tend to get obsessed every now and then with uh, not just particular songs, but particular performances of those songs and lately I have been just listening at least three or four times a day to the performance of A Quick One While He's Away from The Who's Live at Leeds album. Uh, Live at Leeds is one of the best live albums ever recorded. Um, There was a really great expanded edition that split it into two discs, one being uh, the, the rock opera Tommy and one being just the rest of the set without Tommy. And I'm not a huge Tommy guy, so I definitely prefer the other one. Um, but for those that don't know, A Quick One While He's Away is like an eight, an eight or nine minute um, like mini rock opera. But it's a lot of fun. It has amazing drumming. It's, uh, it, it's, my, it's my single favorite Who song. And they do an amazing version on Live at Leeds. I think it's only topped by the version from the Rolling Stones Rock and Roll Circus which was filmed in 1969, I think, and then wasn't released until, like, the 90s. Um, that version may be even better, but this version is fantastic. And um, Live at Leads in general, it has uh, early singles of theirs, like I Can't Explain. It also has stuff like Magic Bus. It has a 15-minute My Generation, which is, does not sound like a very Who thing, but they sort of they make it a medley out of other songs. Uh, there's a great version of Summertime Blues. There's a really great version of Young Man Blues, the Mose Allison song, uh, Substitute, Bangs. The whole album is just so, so good. But if you only know The Who from like CSI theme songs and or uh, classic rock radio, just, just look up a quick one while he's away. One of the live versions. I'd suggest go with the rock and roll circus version and just marvel at a band that is absolutely at the peak of their powers. And uh, that was only one take, and it's it's bananas how good it is. Um, yeah. Live at Leeds is, is, is phenomenal. I, I strongly recommend everyone check
1: it out. Yeah, that is a go-to for me. Magic Bust to end it is is uh, fantastic. And I will say that the bass sound on that Recording is my favorite bass sound in any rock music ever. Um, yes. Just damn, it's so good. The amount of time I've spent on Google results of like, how did he make it sound like that? <laughs> and nobody really knows. Um, wow. But yeah, uh, so in the spirit of something from the 70s and uh, something that I feel is appropriate. We're, we're in late summer now, but still um, we've been fortunate to get to spend some time uh, outdoors you know uh, at the houses of family and uh, you know being COVID precautious along the way I've gotten four COVID tests this summer which is you know I guess I have a higher tolerance for the uh, nasal swab maybe than than some people do Um, but you know really trying to be super careful and, and responsible and obviously the last thing you want to do is get family sick um but you know thank goodness we're in a spot that, that it's an option to get some you know time out of our apartment in in new york city um and just get a little fresh air in, in a way that you know is uh is relaxing and with that i would say that the last couple summers, I realized that uh, the record "In the Right Place" by Dr. John oh, man. was like the ultimate backyard music, and I mean that in like the best possible way. Yes, <laughs> you know, but it's just it's warm out, you know, you're outside, whatever. It just did, um that record fits that mood for me very, very well. So the um, I guess the first exposure I had to Dr. John was, uh, of course, in the Last Waltz. He, to me, he steals the movie. Yeah, he's so he's so good, and you know, there's some really fucking legendary people that took part in that show. Um, you know, uh, tons of them, and and he's so good. So that was my introduction to him, and I, and I still can't claim that I'm. An expert on all the music he's ever made um but focusing on that record last summer and, and this summer a little bit more in outdoor times um that's been a lot of fun and and you know just listening more to his uh his music itself and not just his appearance with the band uh, so yeah i would i would recommend it and um you know, I don't think you can go wrong with any of his music, but start there, or or even start with his songs on the last waltz. But then, if you do, just keep going and and go right over to this record. Um, Say the album title one more
2: time for folks. What's that?
1: Say the album title one more time for folks. Oh yeah, in the right place by Dr. John.
2: Um, did I ever tell you my uncle's Dr. John story? I don't know. So my uncle used to have to fly to Europe all the time for work. And one time he was on a plane where in the first class lounge there was a piano. And Dr. John was on the flight and just sat at the piano and played for the first class passengers for the entire flight. How amazing would that have been?
1: Yeah. (laughs) Man.
2: Yeah. We just lost him last year too, right? Wasn't last year he died?
1: Yeah, I think so. If not, it was the it was twenty eighteen. But I, I think it was just last year. I mean, I I don't know what time is anymore. But... <laughs> well, who does, right? Right, but I think it was last year. Yeah, uh, yeah.
2: I, I can't recommend his stuff enough. It's it's like it's the perfect mix to me. It's it's one of the most like American musicians you can think of because it really is this like this gumbo of influences there's a little bit of country there's there's uh calypso stuff in there there's blues there's funk there's like creole music uh it's just it's a real melting pot of music it's great um yeah any of those first like five or six dr john records are absolutely worth your time uh and like chris said the last waltz just you know he he plays the piano in this just like utterly uh, effortless way, but he's doing amazing things Well, he looks like he's just smiling and not really paying attention to what he's doing. I would give anything to play the piano that way. Um, yeah. Any, yeah. <laughs> Excellent choice, my friend. Uh, but anyway, thank you all for listening. We truly appreciate it. Please go to AmazenAvenue.com where we have all the Mets news fit to print, uh, we will be back with recapping games when they return tomorrow, but um, i I think I speak for just about everybody at the site. I don't like doing that, but I think we can all agree that you know tonight's uh, demonstration is we would take this over a win anytime. So um, thank you all for being a part of our community. We really appreciate it. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, at You Avenue. find this podcast on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple podcasts wherever. You get podcasts, you can probably find this. Uh, he's at Chris McShane. I'm at Brian Needs a Nap on Twitter. And um, until next time, Black Lives Matter. Let's go, Mats.